Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. True or false? Tuco Salamanca is the first person who dies because of a gunshot in Breaking Bad. Mm, true? Yes. It's kind of surprising, huh? Yeah, I had to think about it. I, I guess the only other two we have seen are um, Crazy Eight and Emilio. Yes. And um, it's not to say that there weren't violent deaths, because obviously Nodos was um, also killed. But this is yes. the first time we see someone die by a gunshot. And I just thought that was kind of interesting because of the fact that when you think back on Breaking Bad, you think about this as being a shoot 'em up show in a lot of ways, right? There's a lot of uh, violent confrontations because of Walt's decisions. So I thought that was kind of neat that this was the first one. That is interesting. And um, you know what that kind of reminds me of? Uh, there's this uh, great quote from Alfred Hitchcock. And uh, you know, the, the movie Psycho, a lot of people talk mm -hmm. about that shower scene as being like overtly graphic where you never actually see like her actually get stabbed. It's implied, it's of thought course. thought about that, yeah. Yeah, but a lot of people remember it as being like one of the most violent scenes on uh, film. And Hitchcock said that, you know, the imagination is able to, uh, I guess, create context way better than like we can actually shoot. So I, yeah, to your point, I, I always think of Breaking Bad as as a very violent show, and it is a very violent show. What we have we have seen a lot of violence, um, but without without gun violence already um, to this point. That is interesting. Yeah, and and I, one of the things I was thinking in relation to that was is the implied violence, you know, because of the yeah. there there is this sense. I mean, in the last episode, we saw Jesse hold on to a gun and he didn't even know how to open up the chamber <laughs> to, to change the bullets, you know, like these people yeah. aren't, aren't, um, they're not well versed in, in how to function in that world that way. And, you know, there's so much implied violence that that's just baked into things after they make some of these decisions. So one other question, was Tuco in more episodes of Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul? Uh, that's a mm, oh so he's in Miho, uh, is it even? It, no, it, it's actually he was in four episodes of Breaking Bad, two last season and two this season, and three mm -hmm. in in Better Call Saul. So he was one one more episode of Breaking Bad. So it's kind of crazy if you think about it. There's there's like sixty two episodes of Breaking Bad and sixty three of Better Call Saul. He's in a total of seven of those, so that's 5.6% of the entire series. <laughs> but, you know, his his shadow hangs over a lot of it, doesn't it? Yeah, talk about making an impression, right? To be in, in such little screen time, all things considered, but um, to be, be such a, an important character. Absolutely. He's got a secret ingredient. What secret ingredient? Chili powder. 
This is Growth Decay Transformation, a Breaking Bad Rewatch podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Courtney. And today we'll be talking about Grilled, the second episode of season two. We get a character and we lose one. Uh, We lose one of our first major characters here. Do you think you could uh, possibly give us a nice synopsis of what happens in this episode, Courtney? I certainly can do that. This was a hard synopsis too, right? Because there's so much that happens in this episode. And what is what is the whole running time of it? Like 48 minutes? It's uh, incredible how much they were able to pack into just this one. So uh, the teaser is set in the desert and it features Jesse's ridiculous bouncing car, as his mother calls it, um, which has clearly been through some things. So there's glass all shot out and there are spent casings all over the ground, along with a spent body just behind the car. It's a classic Breaking Bad teaser that lets you know that some ish is going to go down. Uh, The episode opens on a DEA briefing about Tuco, and um, Hank uh, pulls Gomi aside and informs him that he'll be needing to take some personal time to help search for Walt, who has gone missing. And back at the White House, uh, uh, Skylar tells Sergeant Tim Roberts, one of uh, Hank's buddies, about the events leading up to to Walt's disappearance, including the fact that he received that phone call right before he went missing. Remember when she was in the bathtub and they were trying to talk in the last episode? And uh, there also there are Hank and, of course, uh, Junior. So Hank walks Roberts out to his car after they finish up, and he tells him that that phone call that she was talking about with Walt never actually happened, which raises the, the question of the second cell phone, right? And uh, this transitions really beautifully to a shot of Walt's uh, cell phone careening through the air in the desert. And we see Tuco then take out the battery of a second phone, presumably Jesse's, and he discards of that as well. And then he walks up to Jesse's car, pops the trunk, and we find uh, Walt and Jesse in, in the trunk. He pulls them out. And uh, back in Albuquerque, Skylar and Marie are driving around town, putting up missing posters. Marie tries to use this opportunity to make up with Skylar and, again, broach the Tierra subject, but Skylar shuts that down. Not the right time, right? And then back in the desert, we get to meet Don Hector Salamanca for the first time, that, that big character that, that, we, uh, that we meet. Um, Tuco's uh, elderly wheelchair-bound uncle who cannot speak, who he refers to as Tio. So Tuco tells Walt and Jesse that the feds are on to him and they're going to go down to Mexico to to cook. And he starts ranting and raving about how Gonzo um, must have snitched on him. And that makes it clear to Walt and Jesse that Tuco didn't actually kill Gonzo, nor is he even aware that Gonzo is dead. Because if you'll remember, Walt and Jesse think, you know, that uh, he's the one that killed Gonzo. Um, so Jesse tries to get Tuco to take the ricin. By telling him it's this new formula of meth, but of course, Tuco refused it as soon as Jesse tells him that the secret ingredient is chili powder. Back at the White House, Marie lets it slip that Walt may have had a second cell phone and suggests that he might have it to um, get his marijuana or whatever. So Hank then goes to look for Jesse at his parents' house, and his mother, Jesse's mother, shares uh, what kind of car Jesse has, and then Hank follows up with Gomi to ask if he can track it down through the low jack. Back at Tuco's, news about Gonzo and Nodos comes on the TV as Tuco is in the background cooking. Walt quickly changes the channel, and um, sitting in the little living room with them is 
is a uh, Don Hector. So he checks to see if Don H- Hector comprehends and he like waves his hand in front of his face. He starts snapping and um, he's satisfied that he's senile. So Walt sits back down and he and Jesse start uh, strategizing, what should they do? And uh, they decide that they're going to try to slip the ricin into Tuco's burrito, which they do as Tuco is tending to Hector. But when Tuco goes to take a bite of his burrito, Don Hector starts ringing his bell madly. So Tuco thinks that that Hector wants his burrito and switches plates with him. And uh, then with great effort, Hector manages to sweep the poison food off the table and onto the floor. I mean, that's the, that's the most that we ever see him move while he's in his chair, yeah, right? Uh, up to this point, anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's what I, was, what I was thinking, not not to um, interrupt you, but I was just thinking about that, was that when I was watching that, I was like, man, he, I, I remembered that he did that, and he, he moves the, the water later and, and better call Saul, but this was... This is a, you know, a, a huge effort on Yeah, it part. is. It is. And I mean, up to up to this point, he seems really catatonic. Like he's not responsive to any of the stimuli in the room around him. He doesn't look at Walter Jesse, but he's obviously he's aware. He's definitely clued in. Um, so Hector keeps ringing his bell quite incessantly as they wait for the cousins to come up from Mexico. Um, and frustrated, Tuco starts yelling at him. But then he realizes that Hector's actually trying to communicate something, and he's able to ascertain that for whatever reason, he does not like Walt and Jesse. So Walt, uh, you know, as he as he's wont to do, tries to explain things away, and he's trying to be like, oh, well, he must be upset because we changed the channel. He was watching his, uh, and then Jesse's like, yeah, 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 his telenovelas, and we switched it, um, and, that's, and that's why he was upset. So um, Tuco asks uh, Hector for confirmation of this, and when um, he doesn't get that confirmation from him, he grabs Jesse and goes out front, demanding that Walter tell them what they did, right? And he's got his, um, his, his assault rifle pointed at the back of Jesse's head as, as he does this. Um, so uh, Walt then confesses that they did actually try to poison him. And while Jesse's on his hands and knees in the sand, he finds a rock or something in, in the sand. And he's able to hit him over the head, and then they start wrestling. Jesse's able to grab Tuco's pistol and shoot him, right? Then they kick him into a ditch, and they run to get into uh, Jesse's car, only to realize that they don't have the keys. Just then, a car comes pulling up in the distance, and Walt and Jesse get on and run because they assume it's the cousins. So Tuco manages to climb out of the ditch, and it's revealed that it's actually Hank who has arrived on scene having tracked Jesse's car there. Hank gets out of the Jeep, and Tuco grabs the assault rifle that they very stupidly left in Jesse's car, and um, they exchange fire. Hank manages to shoot him in the head, and as Hank approaches Tuco's body, Walt is able to see Hank, and both he and Jesse flee into the desert unnoticed. That was a that was a big job you just completed there. That was quite a bit of stuff that happened, like you said. You know, I, I think what stood out to me for as far as overall impressions was that this is a classic episode. And the stuff at Tuco's hideout and all the stuff you just uh, laid out there is so intense. You know, it's the kind of stuff that, that I associate with you know, the classic Breaking Bad episodes where it's just, um, you know, that they're probably not going to die or any of that. The the, the situation is, uh, you know, it is what it is, but they really make manage to make things intense in, in the best ways. And um, the teaser sets this up really well because it hints that something terrible is going to happen. 
And like I said, you don't really know, you don't really think that they're going to die. I mean, there's always the possibility that Jesse could, but you know, something really bad is going to happen. And so it's a fun payoff when you find out why the car is sitting there hopping around on its hydraulics. Um, everything with Tio is fantastic. This is a, a great new character that even if he only showed up this one time would have been a, a real, uh, a really memorable part of the story. Um, and, you know, this is one of those episodes that you get so caught up in it and you're just and you're just waiting to see what's going to happen. And you're so on the edge of your seat. And then afterward, at least for me, like I'm sitting there going, how's Walt going to possibly get out of this situation? <laughs> you know, like there's no way his family's been walking around handing, you know, handing out flyers and everything else. And he's like going off into the desert after being gone for, you know, these last couple of days. Like, how can he possibly explain that? So, yeah, it's a great, great setup for that. Like, it's just, you know, this is they do that a million times before the series is over. And um, it never really gets old from from, you know, for me. And, you know, this is Raymond Cruz's final final appearance as Tuco, you know, at least chronologically, since it's the end of his life. And um, he goes out with a truly memorable performance. So what about you? What are you, what was your overall impression? Uh, very similar to yours, right? This is classic Breaking Bad, and it's a really great action episode that really ratchets up that tension, um, especially the the final scene is uh, just really just classic Breaking Bad stuff. Yeah. Um, I think the whole episode is really beautifully written, shot, and especially acted. I think it's also a perfectly named episode. I mean, all of them are, but this one, it speaks to how like the heat is turned up on them, um, both literally and figuratively, right? So we get mm -hmm. the the visual of Tuco, um, like uh, the fire in the kitchen as he's cooking the burrito. Also how he's grilling them about why Hector doesn't like them. Mm -hmm. Um and also, of course, the grill in his mouth, of course, uh, which will come into play later in, in the in the series. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, rewatching it from from my 2023 point of view, having watched Better Call Saul, I, th I think the biggest takeaways for me this time watching it are all of the Better Call Saul connections that this episode um, sets up, right, that I didn't really notice before going back uh, and rewatching this. So um, first thing, like in that first opening scene at the the DEA briefing, when uh, Hank is talking about Tuco and talking about how like they raided his uh, his business and stuff like that and rounded up all his guys, he uh, he talks about um, Dog Paulson, right? And uh, he's going over Tuco's greatest hits, and he talks about this story in 1998 with a uh, with uh, Tuco and and Dog Paulson. And if you'll remember, in Gloves Off and Better Call Saul. Uh, there's this scene with uh, Nacho and Mike, yeah. and this is when um, Nacho is trying to get Mike to kill Hector or kill Tuco or whatever it is, and uh, he um, has that scar that he shows Mike under right under his collarbone, and he tells a story about how Tuco killed this guy dog Paulson, and uh, part of his skull ended up embedded under Nacho's skin. Now I remember that very clearly from Breaking uh, Better Call Saul, but I didn't when I saw Better Call Saul, I didn't. I didn't remember this scene from from Breaking Bad, and I never made the connection before watching this episode this time. So there were a couple of moments like that where I'm like, "Oh wow, they they do pick up on this on on again in in Better Call Saul." And um, the attention to detail, I think, is just incredible. And, I mean, some of the stuff's really obvious, right? When you're watching yeah. Better Call Saul, that's ref that references back, but there are these like little minor details that 
I guess um, maybe some of our listeners uh, certainly noticed. I didn't notice this one. And there are a few other ones as well. Yeah, well, I mentioned that, you know, he knocks the plate off and then they, they repeat that again whenever he's first put in, when we learn how he first ended up in the wheelchair because of what Gus did, we see him knock the water off the off the table. That seems like a direct reference. And um, yeah. Yeah, and just to um, sorry to, to interrupt you, Pete, but there's a, that that's something else that also stood out to me. That was from um, from something stupid, right? So that says he's recovering from his stroke. So uh, in Better Call Saul, after he has the stroke, uh, he's in the hospital, and um, and uh, what's his name? Gus has brought in this doctor from Johns Hopkins to try to help give him the best treatment possible because Gus doesn't want him to to die. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she's in there um, doing some stuff with him. And then a nurse comes in and he's trying to look, check the nurse out. So he knocks his water off his little yeah. tray. So she'll bend over so he can look down at her butt as she's doing that. And there's also a rhetorical reference, um, perhaps in this episode of Breaking Bad, because when Walt and Jesse are trying to talk about like why Hector's mad at them. Um, and they're talking about how he changed the channels on his telenovelas. Jesse's like, oh, you know, he needs his honeys. He needs his eye candy, right? Yeah. So that that sort of is like a fun little reference to maybe something about Hector's personality of, you know, being the ogling type. <laughs> yeah, and whenever word. you think about the times when you you see him prior to to being in the wheelchair, that's not really his his thing at all, is it? It's the thing that people put on him, you know, because he, he they they're trying to figure out what's going through his mind because he can't really communicate. And um, that's kind of the where they always take it. I, I think it's uh, the other thing about Tio. I mean, this is, uh, I, I guess, you know, obviously they didn't have any, they didn't really know that he would be a recurring character. Um, so it's really, it's really fun to think about the ways that they made him. I kind of, in my notes was saying that, the tale of two Salamancas and how they just were like, okay, well, we got we got ourselves this guy Tuco. He's really high energy, you know. He's he's snorting meth. He's he's uh, you know he's he's could go off at any second. Why don't we make his uncle someone that is completely confined to a wheelchair, who mm-hmm. has you know who he can't speak, um, he can't do anything, he can't affect the world around him other than to to ring this bell. And I think that's that's pretty that's a pretty great setup for for a new character where, you know, like they have to play off each other. And some of the best dialogue in this, I think, is, um, you know, Raymond Cruz talking to his uncle because of like when he throws the plate down and he's like, why did you do that? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's just it's so funny and it really wouldn't work in, in any other way. You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. 
Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Let's get cooking. We're back with more growth, decay, transformation. I guess let's, you know, we'll, we'll jump into this. There's more about that, I want to say, but let's let's talk about a couple of these other things first. Um, the, the teaser, um, this is one of my, like, visually, I think this is one of my favorite teasers. Like, I really like the way that this is, is, is put together. Um, you know, the way you see the bullet casings there, the, the different things out inside the, um, the desert that have been left behind. There's, it's sort of, you know, this, uh, this, it's sort of, it's a, a forgotten place where, you know, stuff has happened, but, um, there's nobody there anymore. Nobody, but, but these people who are, are there at this moment. And, um, we kind of touched on it already about how it, it works sort of like the teaser of the pilot episode back in season one, right? Where it's just something they show us. And then we get to, before the, before the episode ends, you know, we get to find out what's going on. And it sets the stage in a, in a really, really great way. I mean, it feels like we're in a completely different place. I, I know we're still mm-hmm. we're still close to Albuquerque, but it feels like you know we're you know somewhere completely foreign. I, I think that plays a big part of that. And um, this idea of the car hopping up and down, um, you know, like it, it really made me think about the fact that this is you know Jesse's car. This is the first thing we see. You know when he takes off, whenever the, you know he gets away, and and uh, Walt watches 
when his character's first introduced. And it's also its last episode too, right? I mean, this is the end of end of his uh, the captain, captain, captain mobile, or whatever you would call it. Yeah, it is. It is, and um, I also really love this this cold open. It it made me think of a couple of different things. So first, I think it's a really nice bookending effect for um, for Tuco's character because if you'll remember when we were the first time we meet, um, well, I guess it's not the first time we meet Tuco, but the first time Walt meets Tuco is in a crazy handful of nothing. Nothing, and when you think of how that episode opens, and that's with Walt walking away from. Um, you know, in, in the destruction of the building and, uh, he's got like blood or, or on this bag that he's walking to his, uh, his car and all these people looking alarmed and stuff like that. So again, sort of teasing the final scene in, in that one. And then again, in this one, you have this tease of violence. And if you think of where we left off in the season premiere last episode, right? Like we see them get into this car, into Jesse's car with Tuco in the back seat and it's a very ominous you know way to end that episode very ominous cliffhanger and then to begin seeing jesse's car riddled with bullet holes is is a uh, jarring right so you you definitely know something something bad happens right and you see that body behind the car so you know someone's going to die but again um i think the first time i watched this if i can remember that that far back i didn't think it was jesse or walt right i mm-hmm. i think i i assumed it was going to be um Tuco, who ended up dying in that episode. So it was more just seeing that journey of how that came to be. Like, how does he end up dying sort of thing? Yeah, because he has su- he, he, he has the upper hand, like, so distinctly. There, it, the whole, throughout the episode, you're like, how are they going to get out of this? And it, like you said, it's really hard to, to put that together, like how that's going to play out. Yeah, but um, to to go back to how they they open this right. So you mentioned that it also kind of like is a little bit like in the the pilot right. Like we're out in the desert. Nothing ever good ever happens in the desert, right? <laughs> so like when we have a scene that that opens or a, or a cold open that opens in the desert, you know something bad's going to happen. But like the way that the camera, it's it's not a pan, right? But like as you were saying, like it it, it alights on different objects, like discarded objects. Like there's a washing machine, like a busted out washing machine. There's a baby rattle. Right. So there's these signs of of life, but also of like of decay. Right. Like yeah, these are like this artifacts. is a forgotten you know, place. Things that, yeah. Things yeah. that were left behind. Yeah. And so when I was watching this, um, I mean, it's a completely different tone, but it made me think a little bit of Better Call Saul, Rock and Hard Place and how that starts out going through the desert. Um, the, the cold open to that one is where it lands on the, 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 um, desert bluebell at the end and then mm-hmm. the shard of glass in the sand. So it made me think a little bit about that and some of like the sound effects that we get. Um, so like the, the water, uh, the rain in that episode and it tinkling on the glass and you don't really know what's happening until the, you know, obviously the final scene of that episode. But here, hearing the sound of the car and not knowing what it is at first until you see the shadow of the car bouncing yeah. and then you get the reveal that it's Jesse's car um, is is a uh, is a uh, startling, right? And um, the, the the hydraulics of it and the, I guess another thing it made me think of, I'm sorry, I'm just sort of spitballing here, but uh Thinking of like the first time um, we see like Hank and Gomi out in the field, I think this was in the pilot or the second episode. That's when they recover uh, Crazy Eight's car in the desert yeah. and they're talking about, Hank says it's a culture in decline, talking about the bouncing car, mm-hmm. this idea of hydraulics. And um, here again, you get this idea of like erosion and decay. So a culture in decline and in, in in maybe in a smaller little microcosmic sense of this this uh, space, this landscape that is forgotten. I mean, we see this later, this rundown shack. 
And I was wondering, Pete, um, is this supposed to be like the same little shack that they revisit um, like in Better Call Saul, like where the the scene I'm talking about with um, with Nacho, is this the same little house? Do you think is it meant to be? I'm drawing a blank. Um, like visually, I can't. I can't make a. I can't make a connection. Um, I don't know. What was your thought? Do you think so? I think it might be. I probably should have researched this before we sat down to record. If there's anyone out there listening, um, who knows? Maybe Nutmeg Bites. He he knows all the behind the scenes stuff. Um, is this supposed to be the same place? I don't think it's actually the same location that they necessarily yeah, use that's in what, Better that's Call Saul. Yeah, that's what I was but... thinking that it, it probably isn't, you know, because I think there would have been a lot made out of that, but maybe the, uh, you know, just from following it pretty closely whenever it was coming out. But I think um, it may be implied that it is, though. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like the Salamanca's place out in the middle of the desert, so. Like, I have that's a what fe- I was thinking. Yeah, I have a feeling that this this particular place that they used i I, it's been bulldozed by now or something right like it would be um crazy if this if this shack is still out there somewhere and you could still go out and see it you know but um yeah i know in better call saw the location that they use this little shack that the salamancas had out in the desert they called it murder valley that's what like the crew called it yeah yeah now i'm thinking about that the you're you're we're talking about where they take um nacho yeah, and you and Mike looks at it through the the scope, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely visually different. It, you know that that is in a different setup. Uh, like this place is seems like it's on the side of the road, not on not you know in a valley or whatever. But um, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder I wonder if that's supposed to be implied that way. You know, I I I want to talk some more about that, but I I did want to take a second to. Because yeah, I mean this this episode really skews towards what happens here inside this place, but a lot of other stuff happens too. And I just want to take a second to go back and talk about. I, I thought it. I thought that it was a really interesting line because Hank is doing his thing. He's he's at the DEA. He is trying to get people excited to go out and catch Tuco. Whenever he goes out into the hallway, I thought it was an interesting thing where he says to Gomi that it's all about appearances like he he really he really thinks you know mm-hmm. there's no way they're going to find this guy this guy's in Mexico it's a it's a waste of time but he he still put up the face uh, you know in front of his his people to try to get them to be excited to go out and look about it and and I thought that was a really nice parallel it's all about appearances and the way that Tio is is presented and the way that they because of the situation that they have to eventually say look this guy is not a threat to us. Like we just still have to try to get, you know, figure out a way to get out of this and talk to each other whenever Tuco's not around and just ignore Tio basically. Um, I thought that was an interesting parallel whenever you're thinking about, it's all about appearances. And then it kind of also ties back into this thing of like Walt, you know, I, I think that one of the, the most striking images in this um, episode is the, the wanted poster. You know, because it's the it's it's the happiest that you would ever this shot of um, Walt. It's the happiest you would ever see him. Like I don't think he ever looks this happy throughout the series. You know what I mean? Like he's got a big smile on his face sitting next to Junior, and um, it it just doesn't really look like him at all, other than the fact that it is Brian Cranston. 
Yeah, so I thought that was that was interesting because the stuff that happens with the the White family as Walt is out there and missing, it almost feels like it's a different show. You know, whenever you think about the um, the way it looks and um, the way that it feels, and I, I, that that feels somewhat intentional because you know they would never be able to imagine what's really going on with Walt in that moment that he's being held at gunpoint in the middle of nowhere. And this guy is about to take him to Mexico to become uh, a cook in a super lab in the jungle. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like it. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are a couple of things that I wanted to respond to uh, if I may Pete. Um, so the line that you mentioned when Hank and Gomi go out into the hallway to talk, that stood out to me too, right? So like it's all about appearances and maintaining appearances. I didn't make the connection to Tio, but I did think of it in a slightly different way. So this idea of maintaining appearances, right, is going to be really important for um for Walt in the next episode. Like as as you were you already alluded to this a little bit, like how is he gonna get out of this? And um having already watched the show, we know that they devise this whole like um like uh yeah. you know plan for how they're going to to do that right um and the the fugue state and all that stuff but uh the the idea of the photograph i think is is interesting um because i and uh what is a photograph it's just a snapshot and unless it's a candid photograph catching someone in the moment it's always mm-hmm. all about appearances right like people smile and say cheese or whatever but i think it does also speak to what walt is trying to do he's trying to keep up appearances that he's just a normal you know, suburban dad, you know, who cares about his family and stuff like that. I mean, that's certainly the image he's trying to to portray. He's pretty yeah. awful at it, right? At least to his family, who know that there's something um, remiss there, but uh, or amiss rather. Um, so it is it is a, <laughs> a funny photo that they they use um, to show him. So we have this idea of appearances and disappearances, right? So it's all about appearances, but also disappearances. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, I thought of it more yeah. in those terms, right? So, uh, yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that all ties together though, because I mean, his disappearance is, is like I said, what's, what's driving what they're doing and, and their perspective is they're really still at that. I mean, Skylar's a little bit more tuned in because he has gone kind of, he has a lot of un, accounted for hours because she you know she always was wondering where he's at when he's out cooking or whatever but like everyone else is just worried about him because he has cancer you know what i mean like that's the that's the that's the frame of reference that they have is that he was pretty much normal all the way up until he got this diagnosis and then he started you know their image of that of him has had changed you know now he's a dying man and and he's you know he's got this thing going on but also you know he started to act a little bit weird but you know who wouldn't under those circumstances right yeah yeah and they all they all assume that that he must be depressed or something like that i know that's the big concern and it's kind of alluded to both by um like sergeant uh, roberts um hank and marie talk about it too and even Skylar and Marie at some point, like they're trying to wonder, like would would he harm himself, yeah. right? Like is is this something like maybe he um he's giving up on life or something like that? So yeah, I mean like he's already got a great cover story. He has cancer uh-huh. and just the the everything that that is involved with that. And as he um you know as he later tells the psychiatrist, uh, you know who's uh he's trying to get out of like being held. Um, or being forced to go see a psychiatrist, like who wouldn't 
run in this state, right? So he doesn't really have to do too much work here to to uh, to keep up that appearance, right? That like that it's his his behavior is understandable, except for maybe with Skylar, I think, who obviously hopefully knows him better than than everyone else, and she knows that something's just not computing something's not really adding up and and you mentioned uh tim roberts there quickly um he he shows up in in better call saul um in the fifth season yes he does and he's with um is it gina khalil the um prosecutor who's looking into um right so there's that great scene with um the three of them uh three of them so it's uh tim gina and uh jimmy in the hallway the big wallow slip he gets the he gets the um the Mike when Mike breaks into the the police or he doesn't break in yeah. but he just sort of blends into the police station to drop that folder off um that that it lands on his desk and uh another character that shows up here that will will be a background character that recurs is the mustache man um I don't know if you know who I'm referring to there uh there's a guy the yeah, it's a DA. Man. It's a DA guy. Um, here, he just has like a really full and nicely manicured uh, goatee. But as the ser- series goes on, he has it, he has like a, I, I don't remember the exact story yet. Like I didn't look it back up, but I I, I came across this guy uh, because I noticed him because he has like a a really impressive mustache. He came back in yeah, in <laughs> Better Call Saul. He played a part whenever Hank came back, you know, and it was like, where have I seen that mustache before? Mm-hmm. Because you can't miss it, you know what I mean? And it turns out he no, I didn't pick. Yeah, up on it that. turns out. He popped in. He's a local guy in, in Albuquerque, and um, he doesn't. I don't think he ever says anything. He's just sort of there. But yeah, he shows up, and the and the the mustache gets longer because, like, by the time you see him in Better Call Saul, it's like, you know, it's like an award winning uh, bit of facial hair. <laughs> so it's something to look for, look into when you watch. You know, when you watch again, just to, to circle back a little bit. Uh, he we. You talked about the, you know, we were talking about their impressions and and about him being depressed, but I also thought it was interesting how how quickly Hank goes to that second phone, how he keys in on that. Uh, I guess, you know, as being someone who's in law enforcement, he probably runs into that a lot. You know, a lot of people's secrets involve a, a an affair or something like that on the side. But I thought it was funny when he breaks into the car, he smells the headrest in the uh, passenger seat to see if he can get any clues to the fact that Walt was driving around with somebody else in his car. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, I did. And it's funny. I have that in my notes too. And I thought of it as a visual like pun that he is right under his Mm. nose, literally like right under his nose. And I thought that maybe he was detecting the smell of meth in the car um, but it could have been like he was trying to smell to see if there was like, you know, perfume or that's something what like I, that that's in what the car. I but, assumed, yeah. but it necessarily wouldn't be that weird. I mean, it could have been Skylar's. I think actually he wasn't smelling. I don't think he was smelling the headrest intentionally. I think he smelled something weird and then he sniffed ah. the headrest. See, I read yeah. it very much as like he was catching a whiff of meth. And again, quite literally, right? Uh, yeah. Walt is right under his nose the whole time. And oh, he's I like just... That. Um, yeah, he's just too blind to it. He can't see it because um, there's there's so many inconsistencies with Hank, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, it's one of the things that makes his character interesting and compelling, right? And we've already talked a lot about this, like 
For example, like how he is so quick to judge Hugo, the janitor, and peg him as like this criminal. Uh, and um, meanwhile, he knows that his own brother-in-law is smoking pot and is like a is a mastermind when it comes to chemistry. And I was thinking about this earlier. All the glassware right? like when, came from his, yeah, his exactly his closet. Uh, he's one of the people that has a key to it. Um, yeah, yeah, and like he knows, he knows at this point with what little evidence that they have, like of the surveillance video of Walt and Jesse stealing the methylamine that and the burning the door down with thermite and stuff like that. He even says like these guys have book smarts, right? So he yeah. knows that they're dealing with someone that's pretty high level. They know how to do a P to P cook right like they don't they're not just relying on pseudo so like he's just i i think it's a combination of of both him not being able to see like walt in that light because he he has this this idea of who walt is and he just would not be able to reconcile this really like you know what he thinks of as like a weak you know sort of milquetoast dude you know um who wouldn't know a criminal if he was close enough to check him for a hernia sort of thing uh, mm-hmm. with with who he actually turns out to, to be. But he's also, uh, we've also spoken a little bit about this, how blinded he is by his own prejudices and yeah. his um, his own ideas and his own, I guess you could call it his own, like his own arrogance or his own hubris. Like he has this, this he operates under this, this uh, idea that he already knows everything. And he's, like, the smartest guy in the room. So, like, figuring out, like, that there was the trap in Crazy Eight's car, right? Um, and all these other little things. He's a little in love with, with himself, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's he's, a, he's an interesting character to watch watch evolve, I think, throughout the series. And uh, how he how smart he is about certain things, but then how utterly, utterly blind and stupid he is yeah. about other things. Yeah, I mean, he's really human, you know? I mean, whenever you think mm-hmm. about the cops, it's it's... It's annoying because they have undue power, so they you know they should have more responsibility. But I mean, in this context, uh, you know, as a DEA agent, he you, you see several times that he's he's pretty good at at his job for what it's worth. But the human part of the human side of him, you know, his his personal blind spots are what what drive him. So you know that. With all that extra power that he has and that that affords him his position or whatever, you know, it's it's kind of uh, it kind of hits a little bit differently. But I mean, at the you know, at the end of the day, you want a character to be like that. You want them to be flawed in human ways rather than, you know, something that just, uh, you know, works for the plot or whatever. Well, yeah, the series would be over in five minutes if he was able to, you know, figure <laughs> out who it is. And I mean, like when he finally does, I mean, it's so poetic that he's sitting on a toilet and he's, you know, reading um, yeah. a book of poetry by Walt Whitman, and that's how he he figures it out. And it was Walt's own carelessness, right, and his his own attachment to that that um, that book that that Gail gave him that he left out very very foolishly. But that's that's a conversation for a different yeah. day. Yeah, you know, we were talking about we we're talking about smelling. You know, we we're talking about what what he was smelling there. Uh, what does the words the two words head cheese mean to you? Head cheese. That's like. Um, I mean, it 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 means it's a bad smell. Like I I understood that, but I I had no idea what head cheese was until I looked. Yeah, it well, up. it's like a type of like deli product, right? Like it's made out yeah. of a bunch of like gross stuff like organs. it's like made sorry out no of the, offense to anyone that likes it yeah it, it's made out of the organs from a pig's head mm-hmm. you, you take all that stuff out and then you 
I guess you cook it in some way or you render it in some, some way. And then, yeah, you get the, the end product is called head cheese. And I guess it smells really bad. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So like if we, I guess, is there anything else outside of the, the end of that we wanted to touch on anything between, um, Skylar and she, they, she reconciles somewhat with, with Marie. Is there anything that we need to touch on there? Well, I think Marie's like just how how out of touch she is with the situation, and I think it actually adds really nicely to that rant that Skylar had in the previous episode when she's talking to to Hank, right? When she's talking about how she's the one that needs support, but no, it's her, you know, her spoiled bitch sister that gets all the attention and stuff like that. And um, there's Skylar, her husband's missing. This is a very concerning, um, traumatic event for her, right? And she's worried and she's out putting up posters. And of course, her family is involved. She has, of course, Hank involved um, on, you know, the, the legal side of things. And then, of course, she's going to invite her sister to, to help her look for her husband. Um, but then as Marie is like, okay, so about the Tierra thing, like Marie completely like tries to take advantage of this this very vulnerable moment that Skylar's in to to kind of like bring up this terrible mm-hmm. subject. And so uh, Skylar, of course, shuts it down immediately. But I, I think this, um, so I, I, as I was saying, I think that like feeds really well into the the conversation that, that Skylar had with Hank and helping us to understand just how like really self-centered um, Marie is and, and how it's not that necessarily she lacks empathy, but it's like this really isn't the time marie like why would you bring this up right now of all times who cares about a stupid tiara she's trying to make it about her in a way yeah or you know she's like she's she misreads the situation as like her sister is vulnerable right and needs her and so like this Mm -hmm. is like a way to to kind of just brush it under the rug and get it get it or or clear the air rather right and like it's that's i think skylar lets her know like this is not over and that we're not going to address this right now and that's <laughs> that's something that poor skylar has to deal with um more than one occasion like people forcing her into conversations or into situations she doesn't want to be in i think of um because the line she's like not now or uh that's a conversation she has later with ted when he shows up at the house and um and and uh, maria is there i don't know if you remember the scene i'm talking about um, but uh, mm. he wants to know like why she hasn't been returning his phone calls or something like that. And she's like, well, I'm a little busy, you know, not now. And he's and he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. and she's like, you're going to make me do this right now, right now sort of thing. So um, mm. it's, a, it's a, a kind of recurring thing for Skylar, poor Skylar. Take a break. Wander around in a fugue state. We'll be right back. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. First two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app.
We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, well... I think then we can talk about the way that this all comes to to an end for was it a Monte Carlo that he drives and for for Tuco and um, it starts to set things in motion for Hank as well. Things are going to get tricky for him moving forward. Um, So, yeah, a big pivotal scene here. And um, what do you think is going on like? visually when they're shooting this this inside this um shack i'm gonna call it a shack um it's it's a it's a he would tuco would describe it as a really nice crib in the country (laughs) um but uh i think shack is a better description um the the way it looks like it i i don't know i'm asking because i couldn't really figure it out when i was looking but it has sort of a pastel look, the way that the colors are put together. I mean, I know that the, some of the walls are, are painted pink, but the lighting, to me, it seemed interesting in this because this should be a really drab and, and burnout looking place. But when you look at these scenes, it, it has this this kind of like soft and um, warm look almost to it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Did you well, notice that? Yeah, you get a lot of the natural desert light, right? So like... I mean, mm-hmm. and I think that sort of speaks to the fact that it's this like little place out in the middle of the desert with nothing else around. There are no trees. There are no like window. Well, that that's not true. They do have um some like lace curtains. I noticed mm-hmm. hanging in there, right? So like they could blot out the the light that way, but it's very sparsely decorated in there. So um a lot of the natural light coming in through through the windows. Yeah, I did notice. Yeah, I thought it was I think that I thought it was a really cool thing and like the way that it it you know, like I said I feel like that if you were there in real life it would be really dingy and and uh kind of creepy, but but well, somehow you know the this it, it it is that it still you know, it still sends that message, but there's also something else going on that that has, was a really nice touch I thought. Well, it's a, it's a nice contrast to the other like crack shack we see um spooge's house right when jesse goes to try to get his money back yeah. from there and how that's dark. Like, that looks like a haunted house kind yeah of thing. that's what i think you think of when you think of a crack shack that's kind of more or less yeah. like there's a lot of stuff everywhere it looks very dirty um yeah it looks like a crack shack this doesn't look like a crack shack this looks like an abandoned property right and i think the cold open also really serves to to support that that narrative that this is an abandoned sort of forgotten place and it's just like a hideout in the desert for them to wait at when the i guess for the cousins to arrive or mm-hmm. whatever 
Um, I mean, I guess, and if like we do think of it as the same place that they had in Better Call Saul, maybe this is what that place looks like, you know, after you know some several years of of neglect or or something like that, right? Like I can imagine it being that's that same place. Would you call it a really nice crib in the country? No, I would not. <laughs> Definitely not. I really love the dynamic between. I mean, they kind of they kind of mind this again too with with uh when he when he, with his grandmother and and um better call Saul, but I, I really like the uh the the family side of Tuco and the way that he kind of is almost like a a kid, you know, like you what see the you kid inside. What did you do to my Tio? What did you do to my abuelita? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I thought that was a really nice, a really nice dimension to the character. Uh, but make no mistake, this guy is super dangerous. And um, you know, we were talking about the windows. Yeah. He's he's firing the firing the the M sixteen out the outside of the windows there for a while. Uh, Poor as cow. He's yeah, as he's snorting um, meth. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, not a comfortable place to be um for these two for for walt i mean i like the way that they had the um i'm not sure if it worked 100 percent, but i i like the little thing about them in the trunk and um whenever they open it up he thinks he sees skylar uh kind of like an angelic thing of skylar and and then it's really um tuco you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um Kind of, kind of underline the idea of just how uncomfortable this situation is. What do you think of his plan to take them south of the border? I mean, for as deranged as he is, it's not a bad plan. Um, the only problem is that Walt would have to leave his his family behind. But but he can get Google another one. Out, he get can another get another one. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it is um, funny, and that that does sort of set up like right. So you you kind of alluded to this family dynamic that that Tuco has with his with Hector with his abuela, and of course the Salamanca like family motto is "La familia is todo." Family is everything, yeah. and this is something that Hector seems to instill in all of the nephews, right? So the the cousins from Mexico when he tries to drown one of them, you know, to teach that lesson. Certainly, yeah. Lalo, um, I also. But at the same time, like these are these are crazy violent people, right? And um, so it's mm-hmm. sort of at odds, right? So like like that that Tuco, it's just I think it speaks to his psychopathy, right? So like family yeah. is everything to him, but he can't seem to conceive that Walt wouldn't want to leave his family, right? Like who cares? Just get another family. So um, you know, it it is a, an interesting little disconnect, and I think that that might <laughs> speak to not just his psychopathy, but also to the effect of the the meth that he takes. When he takes a bump, he goes nuts, right? And he starts shooting cows. Or he wants to clean out the manure between Jesse's ears and put a bullet through him like he's a cow or something. You know, yeah. and uh, um, you know what? Watching um, Raymond Cruz in, in this episode um, made me think of, I know we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, the Coen brothers um, previously on this podcast, but have you ever seen O Brother, Where Art Thou? With George yeah. Clooney and John Turturro. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if you remember the scene where uh, they're with baby fa- Babyface Nelson and they're in the car and they're like tr- trying to uh, escape the cops that are, are chasing them. And he's got his like, uh, what were they called? Those um, those like old timey guns. Uh, There's a Tommy name for gun? it. Tommy gun. Yeah, he's got a Tommy gun. And uh, they're driving through like some like pasture or whatever and he sees cows and he's like cows i hate cows and then he just completely shoots 
obliterates a cow yeah. is very much like like Tuco in this. I don't know. It just made me think of think of it. And um, I yeah, wouldn't be surprised y- if it was a little bit of a, a nod to the the Coens. Yeah, I I mean I I think as much of as many Vince Gilligan interviews that I've listened to. I mean he he names drop he name drops the Cohen brothers quite a lot, quite yeah. a bit. So yeah, anytime I see something that vaguely looks like it might be related to their work, I, I think it it probably is. You know, if not directly, then subconsciously because he's obviously you know paid a lot of attention and enjoyed the stuff that they made. Um, yeah, we talked about family. And it and it is funny, right? Because Walt, that's Walt's default. You know, I'm doing this for my family. Uh, the Salamancas, they say, you know, yeah, we do all this terrible stuff, but it's all about our family. Um, it's kind of interesting when you think about it. You know, family's the one thing you can't really choose. I mean, I guess they're they're talking about blood, whereas Walt's talking about the the family that he married into, which is slightly different you well know, junior and of... his pregnant wife is carrying his child yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that's his blood yeah yeah no i would agree I, i'm just saying that you know they're it, it's it's all just a coping mechanism to you know to be able to do what they do you know they have this thing to say but yeah i'm doing it all for this for this higher purpose for this this pure thing you yeah know? yeah I, I get what you're saying so it's like it's like yeah. their their moral touchstone right right like so yeah um if they think of it in terms of like this is for the family um then that makes everything with that they do uh justifiable but of course i think the the parallel that you're making here between them is that it's the same right like it's not true in either case it's not really yeah. true for walt no. any more than it is for <laughs> for the the salamancas yeah, it's just their it's just their thing that they can can go back to, and you know we're talking about you know the family, the Salamanca family. What would you think of if I said that Tuco was the one that got away? Tuco was the one who got away. Mm-hmm. In what regard? Like what sense? Well, I would just say that there's this guy that, that we we haven't met yet, but he, he'll be a big part of the series later. Gus Fring. All of the other Salamancas uh, that that die in this series, um, he he has a direct hand in in what happens to them. Tuco's the one that got away. He didn't. He as far as we can tell, I mean, he doesn't. He's not on the radar at all. Obviously, when they wrote this, but there was no way for them to even kind of say that that he had an influence here. Um, Tuco gets taken out. It's the one Salamanca that we we see die that, you know, is all to leave, uh, you know, Gus's plan obviously is to leave Hector all alone, um, and miserable at the end, take away Mm -hmm. everything from him, from his family because of what, what he took away from, uh, Gus, which was Max. Right. Yeah. And I guess even because I was thinking about the, the, the two cousins, um, and I guess even in a regard, he like said, he's kind of responsible for that too, because he sends Hank, you know, or warns Hank so that he's able to yeah, kill one of them. Yeah, and then he directly kills yeah. kills the other. Yeah, one. Yeah, he has Mike go in there and dispatch him. Um, yeah, but there yeah. are other there are other Salamancas that we never get to to meet or really know about. And I've always been so curious. I know like a lot of fans would love like a Salamanca like spinoff or more backstory or something <laughs> like that. But like. Um, like for example, like Gonzo is Tuco's brother-in-law. So is, does that mean Tuco has a sister somewhere, right? That was married to Gonzo? Like in how, how are, how is he his brother-in-law? Um, of course there's the abuelita. We don't know who like, so Hector is everyone's uncle, right? He's Lalo's uncle. He's Tuco's uncle. He's the, the twins from Mexico's uncle. 
but um, they're all cousins, right? So, like, who are their parents? Who are the other, like, Salamanca brothers? Like, who are Tuco's si- – or, sorry, uh, Tio's yeah. siblings, like, Hector's siblings? Um, that family tree is so interesting. I w- I'm, like, so yeah. curious I to mean, know more. Just on a purely st- statistical level, I mean, if you have that many – if you have that many male cousins, there, there's, there's certainly a couple of uh, females, right? You know what I mean? Like, they, yeah, there, they, have there, there has to be. <laughs> There has to be women in the family, but you yeah. never actually to see any of them except for Abelita. And um, um, Hector has children or had at least one child at some point because when um, when Gus and, and Jesse uh, take them out, um, take out Don Eladio and, and everyone in, in Mexico. They take out his grandson. They take out his also, grandson, right? yeah, because he comes back and he, he quotes about that, um, about how they were able to, to get his grandson, all of them, all of the the people connected to that that side of the family and the cartel right so so it is interesting to your point though like the only one that maybe he doesn't have gus doesn't have a direct hand in killing at least that we're aware of is um is tuco maybe also abuelita i don't know maybe just old age got yeah. her <laughs> i don't yeah, know because i mean i think i mean not to give gus too much credit or whatever i feel like he would leave the the women out of it i will kill your because. wife i will kill your son I will kill your infant daughter. I think he'd kill women too. I think he would, but I think in this particular this particular showdown with Hector, it's more about dominating his 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 role in the uh, just because that's the way that they came together was through through the the cartel and the way yeah. that they they sort of jockey for power, and he wants to take out that whole that whole system that whole structure. So you know, in in that sense, if they weren't if they weren't like the kind of uh, ladies that might step in and take over the family business. And they certainly are never referenced in that way that I can think of, you know what I mean? Like even whenever Lalo's fleeing back to Mexico, you know, he says, well, Tuco's getting out in 11 months or, you know, so there's, there's room for them to, to introduce them, but they never do. So I guess we can just have, that'll be my headcanon anyways, is that the, the women are, are, are not involved with the uh, drug business in the Salamanca family. Or maybe they're just not involved with the Salamancas anymore. They're just kind of like, you know, breeding stock because <laughs> there are no women in their lives. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, at the briefing. that is kind of funny. Yeah, at the briefing, um, Hank mentions that Tuco had like a, a meth like hag of a girlfriend or something like that so you get a sense that it wasn't like a real relationship or or anything like that hector obviously no. doesn't have any like a wife that comes and visits him or cares for him um or or anything like that so la familia is toro it's like the only the only family that really seems to matter are those that help further his business interests right yeah so another thing that pops up here in this situation is that everybody is 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 quick to just off Jesse Pinkman whenever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tuco, like they just want to waste him because of just of his, his just being there. Like he's just annoying. As, you know, you get the sense that he just annoys people by his, by being. Is that, do you think that's a fair statement? Poor Jesse. I mean, he already, he yeah. already has a history with, with Tuco, right? Um, yeah, who, uh, he he beat up pretty badly the first time they ever met, right? So Tuco yeah. pushes him onto the ground every time he sees him, at least once. It seems like you know yeah, what I he, mean? Like he does. grabs him by the neck and throws him. <laughs> yeah, into the in the dirt. junkyard. Yeah, Jesse gets beat it, up a lot. 
a lot. He does. And, you know, there's this there's this shot of him going through the door here um, after, you know, he T.O. keeps ringing the bell and then, you know, finally Tuco puts two and two together that these guys are up to no good. Um, They're punking him, yeah. Yeah, there's this shot of him going through the door and you kind of see the door get ripped off the hinges. And this is Aaron Paul doing his own stunt. And um, it turns out that he he knocked himself out here and got a, you know, he, he passes out and had to go to the hospital, had a concussion the whole nine yards. And, um, you know, I was reading about this and they were saying that and and it's totally believable, obviously, because Raymond Cruz is an imposing figure. That you know, the, the the way I read it was that that Raymond Cruz got so into the scene that he threw Jesse through the door and knocked him out and everything else. But that's not actually listen, the case. Yeah. Yeah, when you listen to the Insider podcast, Vince Gilligan makes the he he says pretty directly that. Raymond Cruz was worried about something like that happening and that he didn't know how to do it. So he asked Aaron Paul, um, how do you think we should play this? And and Aaron Paul said, hey, you know what? The shots from outside, I can just throw myself through the door mm-hmm. because no one's going to see it anyways. And uh, knowing all that stuff, you know, like reading those things and then going back and watching it, it is absolutely brutal. Like his body, like, hits the ground in a way that is just disgusting. When yeah. You know that- and something else that they mentioned on that podcast that um, I didn't know until listening to it, Vince is telling the story exactly uh, as, as Peaches described it, right? So it's not that Raymond Cruz actually threw Aaron Paul out the, the door. Aaron Paul threw himself through the door. But the door was not like a prop door. That was a real screen yeah. door. Um, that he knocked off it, its hinges, right? So it uh, jumps off the hinges. Yeah, if you, like, like I said, I, I maybe I watched it a little bit closer than than anyone should or whatever. But yeah, it jumps off the thing. I mean, like that is it's it's an impressive thing that Aaron Paul was he sacri- he sacrificed his body for that um, in a way that you know, wow. Yeah, he definitely he definitely did, poor guy. But it's a <laughs> it's a great shot, you know. It it uh, yeah. it's very effective. Yeah, and you know, like I, I was looking at the whole thing, and and you know, he, it, he's there, and it, it does make a big difference. You know, the fact that you can see his face, and that that it's like when he throws him against the the wall, like the wooden thing that's outside there, and everything else, like you can see his face in the in the thing, and and I kind of feel like that that's not something that. I feel like that's something that's going by the wayside, like that you probably don't see um, the big actors in series doing that as much. I mean, I'm sure they want to, but I feel like that that's just bad business in a way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like these these are pretty physical scenes, but I mean, I'm glad they did it the way they did it because it, it came off. I feel really bad that that he got knocked out and, and had the concussion. Um, yeah. And uh, something that Vince apparently was on, on set for when they shot the, the final scene um, where uh, there's that confrontation with, um, with uh, Jesse and Tuco. And uh, he speaks about how just absolutely terrifying and how like emotionally raw that whole scene is as, as Jesse's pleading for his life. Like, please, I don't want to die. I don't want to, I don't want to die. Yeah. And something they talked about on the on the Insider podcast is just how phenomenal the acting really is there. Um, when it's uh, you know, something like like Aaron Paul or Raymond Cruz and and the the wonderful acting that they're able to do, but also 
the silent acting that you get from Mark Margolis, who plays uh, Tio Hector. And um, yeah. I, I think it's some of like the, and, and you mentioned a little bit this, a little bit about this when you were talking about the two Salamancas, like you have the really like outgoing, um, over the top Tuco, and then the very quiet, reserved Tio. And there, that's a nice contrast there. But we get other silent characters throughout the series. So certainly the cousins who never really say anything, mm-hmm. I think maybe utter like maybe five words the whole in both yeah. series all together. Like, they're like a they're like a direct um combination of both sides of that. They're they're quiet like Uncle Tio or Tio. Um Uncle Tio. They're, <laughs> yeah. They're explosively violent like Tuco. They got both both of those things wrapped up in one package. There. They're so scary. But also um Gus has a certain quiet uh thing about him as well so certainly i mean he talks this is a character that speaks a lot but i think some of the scariest scenes with gus are the ones where he doesn't say anything so um there's a lot of this really great silent acting that that goes on in in both series um and uh it it really helps to again sort of ratchet up that tension and it's because you want them to talk you're like say something right and it really helps you feel the tension that the characters feel so i'm I'm thinking of in, in breaking bad when um they're down in the the super lab right after Gail has died and and Gus comes down and um you know uh Mike has been tasked with killing both of them sort of thing but now they're waiting to see what what's going to happen now that they don't have a cook and mm-hmm. just how that Gus doesn't say anything until like you know after he goes back up after he like uh dispatches poor little Victor um so it's, it's the silent acting I think is is really great and I think this episode in particular really sets establishes that this is with with the introduction of of tio and mm-hmm. and some of those those silent moments and then we'll see again with the the cousins coming up pretty soon yeah and talking about the acting i mean I, the the scene you pointed out or the uh part that you pointed out with with aaron paul there where he's begging for his life or he, i mean he's he's saying i don't want to die he's not really begging i guess that would be that would be a little bit off um but the 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 three of them there, all three of them working in that that super tense situation. I don't know what I guess the the rhythm of it or like the way that they 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 play off each other. Like it's you know the way that it's cut, everything is like um it's pretty pretty superb right there. And um you know there's just like a little bit of stuff that that Brian Cranston does there in in response to what Tuco's doing that set up that big line that he delivers there, you know what I mean? And, um, mm-hmm. just, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just like so much stuff is happening in those few moments. Like, I mean, I think like, if you think about the actual time they go outside till the time when he gets hit in the head with the rock, I mean, you're not talking about a lot of actual screen time, but it feels like a lifetime, you know, like, cause so many things transpire like in those characters heads in the, in those moments as, you know, he he really is at the edge of of his life. I mean, there's, there's you know Jesse Pinkman should have died there if if things didn't uh, play out the way they did, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, really, and uh, it, Jesse uh, Walt saves his life, right? I mean, yeah, um, on mul- multiple occasions, but definitely, definitely here he he intercedes and saves him. What do you think about the choice of let him bleed? I think that's a classic film character mistake, right? Like you're, or you certainly see it in horror movies. Like never assume they're they're dead. So, yeah. um, 
It's one of those um, <laughs> screaming at the at the you know at the screen kind of thing. Like, no, no, don't do that. Don't walk away. Uh, just shoot him. You both have guns trained on him right now. Um, he was going to kill you. You know, you could definitely you can definitely uh, justify this later on in your head. Just take the 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 headshot there, right? Yeah, no half measures, right? Like uh-huh. they they didn't finish the job. Uh, I mean, it works out for them <laughs> ultimately in in the end, I guess. But yeah, I, it's definitely one of those moments where you you scream at the TV like, "What are you doing? No, don't walk away!" And then ugh, ugh, when they think the cousins are pulling up and they leave the mach- the uh, I keep wanting to call it a machine gun, but the um the rifle they leave the rifle in the car when they get out to run. I was like, no, what are you doing? And of course, that's the, the gun that, that uh, Tuco pulls out when Hank pulls up. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> As far as they go, I mean, a pretty, a pretty good last stand for Tuco, I think. This is something we've seen before time and time again. And the reason is, is because it, it works, you know. Uh, I did like the, the spin that they put on it, you know, that he hits the hydraulics. So, you know, the car is going there. Because like, like you said... Just to really go back for a second, you know, you were talking about when we were talking about the teaser, you were talking about that sound. The sound design there is, is fantastic, you know, because you don't really it, it's a it's a sound that, you know, but it's not mm-hmm. something that you're like, oh, yeah, that's the that's the car bouncing on its hydraulics. Like you need the visual to put those two things together. Right. Um, they don't it's not at least I guess not for me. Maybe maybe you spent a lot of time around low riders and. You know, you're, you're, it's <laughs> yeah, a sound you're, you're more familiar with, <laughs> but like, uh, yeah. And I, I read that the, um, that the, the hydraulics at the end was designed to sound like a heartbeat. And then, yeah, like, the that's car what finally I, comes. T- oh, is that where you were going? Yeah. That's where I was very slowly getting to. I was, I was having trouble making it there. So thanks for the assist on that. Yeah. But yeah. I, I thought that was a great great uh character thing you know that the the car is that sound comes back in after he hits the button that we already you know made that connection with in the beginning and then you know they said that they set it up so it was beating fast because of the adrenaline of the moment and then it you know it slows down to where he he actually expires next to the car and yeah like i said i think as far as as last stands um it's it's pretty memorable it's a pretty good one yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it is a it is a good first like villain death, I guess, and uh, the the villain death. Like, I I think I made this um this uh, analogy previously. It's like if you think of of uh, Breaking Bad as a as a video game and how like uh the villains get like bigger and tougher, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is the first first round maybe or second round if you think of Crazy Eight and Emilio as like the first round. That's like the the very first uh, villain you have to fight, and then Tuco is like the big villain but then coming up we have gus right so the the deaths are going to get more explosive and and crazy um as, as they go along so yeah this is i think a, a satisfying ending for this particular character and uh you know hank it shows that he can he can perform under fire right i mean this is a harrowing experience for him he's the guy is is firing off a lot of bullets in his direction his car yeah, but can takes... he but can well, he really I mean, handle it, it he did here as far as I mean, we yeah, know. he, I mean, he, he, uh, you know, is able to take the effective kill shot and everything like that. But um, I certainly got the sense that this is like the first real shootout Hank has ever been involved in, right? So he, I mean, he talks a big talk and stuff like that. Yeah. 
But um, I mean, we'll see like what after, you know, he goes down to um, to Texas and how he copes with the trauma of this sort of violence. Right. And um, we see him. Um, this might be a little bit of uh, foreshadowing uh, of what's to come with his PTSD that he gets from from this confrontation with his own mortality sort of thing. Um, yeah. We see him get into the elevator at the DEA by himself. And, um, of course, later on when he has his PTSD, that's kind of like his moment, like the descent, like literally a descent going down into an elevator, but also it's where he has his like little private moments where he starts to hyperventilate, he starts having panic attacks and things like that. Um, so, I mean, that happened, the, the elevator shot I'm, I'm referring to happened before he even went out into yeah. uh, the desert and had this confrontation with Tuco. It's right when he's leaving the DEA offices and he's worried about Walt, right? Yeah, and um, trying and I, to find Walt, and I think it's heavily implied. I mean, it, it you know the grill, it, it's called grilled. Like you, you point out all those other different connections that that are there uh, with that title, but the grill itself, you know, he gets that later, and um, I think that's all. It, it's been a while since I watched that those episodes, but I mean, I think that that is a reminder. That's something that plays a big part in in his downfall. That's why when I was talking about it earlier, I thought you know this is this sets off his 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 journey in that direction. You know, this is a this oh, is a you know definitely definitely. Him. I think this is the first time he's really been in this kind of situation. So you think of like the the last episode where they come upon the crime scene with um, Gonzo and with No Doze, and he's cracking jokes. Look at old yeah. Stumpy here and. You know, it's all hilarious to him, and he's got this real gallows sense of humor about it. He said it, on, so, he said it in this episode too. He said, "If you need to see the, if you want to see that, they're on my website." Like he he put the photos up on some kind of website. <laughs> yeah. So, like you know, um, it's either in the next episode or or sometime in the near future. I don't I don't exactly remember which one it's coming up in. But when they gift him uh, Tuco's grill encased in in like the plastic block or whatever mm-hmm. again like that's that seems to be like very much in line with his sense of humor and his sensibilities and all the the disgusting you know jokes he makes yeah. with his dea buddies right like so it is something that seems like it would appeal to him but he's horrified by it and he eventually he gets rid of it he throws it into um into like a river or something that we then see later at a at some point but um this is the the beginning of a shift for him so of course he's going to be hailed as a as a hero for this and and um everything but um it's i at this point we don't know it of course because we just see what happens and he's able to effectively neutralize the threat and everything like that but i don't think it's what he expected it to be so but he's going to still have to as uh he tells gomi uh keep up appearances right so he's going to have to try as much as possible to to mask how how much this affects him You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. 
We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, if very special isn't your speed, we've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Let's get cooking. We're back with more Growth Decay Transformation. One other thing I wanted to touch on, and and then uh, we could probably wrap up this part, is uh, the bell. I think Mm -hmm. this is such a great device um, as far as, you know, the way that it, it, it's an affirmative, you know what I mean? Like we can, we kind of work our way through it here that, you know, when he's saying, what did they do to you, uh, T.O., did they do this? And, and you, you don't really understand how it works to the bell. You know, we just know that he's hitting it, it, it making a noise or something. And then you realize it's, you know, it's a, it's an affirmative. It's a way for him to, to, if someone says the right thing, then he can, he can say, yes, that's what I mean or whatever, you know? And, um, I liked how that all played out within the episode because at first he's just this guy who's do- sitting over there with his no- annoying little bell, you know what I mean? Like, why are you ringing that bell, dude? What's going on with that? You know, and then eventually you see that that's literally the only way that he can um, communicate. And uh, yeah, I think that's such a that's such a good idea. Um, you know, they, they later on in Better Call Saul, they'll explain how he got it. Um yeah, and Peterson. That's when um, when Lalo goes to to see him um mm-hmm. right after his his stroke, and he brings him this little gift. And uh, for those that don't don't remember, he tells uh, he reminds uh, Hector of the story of how um, we don't obviously get all the details right. And I love just a little side note here, but I love Nacho's face in that scene because Nacho is with him with Lalo when they go to see yeah. um, Hector in the nursing home. Um, and so, like, Nacho has no idea what he's talking about, but Lalo's laughing, like, do you remember this time in, in whatever town they were in Mexico, where there was, like, some professor that, like, was into, like, antiques and stuff like that, um, who had, like, old books and other, like, artifacts that they uh, killed, and they burned down his place, and then um, Lalo confesses to Hector that he later went back to the to the place, and he was able to retrieve this little bell as a souvenir. And um, that's how Tuco gets this this sort of antiquated bell that Lalo then um, straps to his his wheelchair for him. It's so gruesome, <laughs> but I love I love that they included that detail in in Better Call Saul, and they give you all this backstory. I love it. When I was looking in, when I was look, when I was researching this episode, I was you know one of the things that popped up was that the bell and the uh, the grill in the uh, block of resin or whatever it is those were two of the the high ticket items in in um you know as far as like uh props that they they auctioned off at different times which would you rather have the bell or the grill uh definitely the bell yeah what about you (laughs) i think you'd have to go with that i mean it's just such a uh you could (laughs) i mean you wouldn't want to ring it that much i guess you know what i mean because you're, you're gonna pay a lot of money for it and it's uh you know it's a thing, but just to be able to ring it every once in a while, you can't really put the grill on. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I have the next like best that. thing. I have um, I have a Hector bobblehead in his little wheelchair, and his bell actually works when you when you ring the ah, bell. That is yeah, pretty cool. Great. Yeah, Anything and else? another thing. 
Well, yeah. about the belt, just just quickly, when I was when I was reading about this, um, apparently when um when he's uh in uh the shack with uh with Tuco and and Walt and Jesse, when he's ringing the bell incessantly trying to get you know Tuco's attention, he's actually ringing it out um in terms of SOS, right? Like he's trying to send the oh, signal yeah. um the the way that you would like a, an SOS signal or something, but Tuco I guess didn't pick up on, didn't pick up on that. I didn't notice it either until I read it, but maybe people out there um are are a little bit more uh, tuned into that uh, caught it. But I thought that was a really really cool little detail. I love I love learning like reading about the episode and mm-hmm. like all this behind the scenes stuff, and I'm like oh that's so cool. And just a couple of other uh, things like if if you're interested in this sort of behind the scenes stuff, you should definitely check out the insider podcast they don't really talk about like themes or anything like that they really just talk about the behind the scenes stuff that goes mm-hmm. on but they talked a little bit about some of like the editing that um went into this episode because on this episode it was a uh, kelly dixon who's an editor who's also the host of the insider podcast vince gilligan and then the editor of uh of this episode um was it skip was McDonald. it sam or skip skip mcdonald thank you yeah and um, they talk about like uh, how like the they did the muzzle flash. They talk about the gun and the prop and some of the issues with the gun there. Um, how like they had to invert or mirror one of the images of Tuco and then like digitally move his teardrop tattoo. It's just some cool mm-hmm. stuff if you're you're yeah. into it. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that. I was I was really happy when we got the season two so that we could start to listen to that before we made this because that was such a big thing in the Better Call Saul days was to to hear what they had to say because they have so many um, interesting details. And I mean, like, you know, for, for me, it, you know, I'll, I'll probably never get, this is probably the closest I'll get to a, a TV production. You know what I mean? I'll, I'm never going to find myself on set or something like that to see any of this stuff, stuff in uh, real, real life or whatever. So it's, it's, it's fun to hear them talk about it and, um, get a different perspective because there's so many moving parts, you know what I mean? Like when you think mm-hmm. about, you know, of course we criticize a lot about how things turn out um, on television, uh, you know, but when you think about all of them and, and you should, I'm not saying that there's any, you know, you get, it's not like you have to give them a break when it doesn't work or something like that. But it's, it's amazing how many moving parts, how many people are involved to make all of that stuff work when it does actually work. And, um, you know, I like to learn as much as I can about that. I do too. I love it. I love all the behind the scenes stuff. All right. So should we should we move on to favorite line, favorite shot, or is there, or is there anything else you think? I, I'm ready to go. Um, I could go first this time, um, just because I know that yours is. I, I actually saw your your favorite line in the notes before I picked mine, so uh, I know yours is is uh, one that that's probably. I might have picked if I hadn't seen you picked it. You know well, what I mean? You know, I think I changed my mind. I, I, if you look at the notes, you may have seen I added. I, ah. I, I'm, I can't ever decide, you know. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> but for me, yeah. this one was not difficult, um, actually, because uh, I wanted to do one with Tuco since it's his last episode. He says at one point, he says, they're out there looking for me right now. They got ghetto birds and black ops. And... Uh, <laughs> The the ghetto birds like that was so random to me that that I really love that. Um, it's a great great way to show this guy this paranoid guy that he you know he, I think um, as far as as far as we know I mean he's the first person that ever tried the blue meth 
And we don't ever see um, Jesse sample it anyways on screen. I don't think so. You know what I mean? So like, as far as we know, he's the first person that, that, that tested the, the blue meth. Um, well, it's, isn't it like the same thing as the meth that they were making when they were using like pseudo? I mean, the only difference is the processing. I mean, cause the white stuff, I I'm mean, sorry to, say- to interrupt you here, but like when, because the stuff that they, they find and they sample um, that, that Hank finds in um, Crazy Eight's car, that's like the, the purest stuff they've ever found before. And that's not blue yeah. yet. I mean, the blue is just like the, the novelty or the, the signature of it. So, But yeah, you might be right, at least in terms of on screen, like who tries the, the blue version of it first. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That uh, you know, yeah. the 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 that's what he's remembered for. That becomes his brand. You know what I mean? Uh, the P two P blue stuff. And um, yeah, I think he's the first one. And and you're right. I mean, I'm sure if you get into those high numbers that they're doing, that um, all meth that is that strong would would have a similar effect or whatever. But yeah, I just thought that that was something to that is interesting that he was the first one yeah. that tried that out. I, w- um, I wouldn't be able to to speak to the difference between meth made with a pseudo yeah. versus a P2P cook, but maybe if anyone out there knows the difference, if there is a difference between the two. Um <laughs> I was going to say maybe write in but maybe don't 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 write in, don't yeah, let us don't know. Don't incriminate yourself. Yeah, don't know, put it into We're not writing. we're not judging, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, you know, whatever, but uh maybe don't put that to paper or whatever. Um, what about you? What was your favorite line? You said you changed. Yeah, I mean, so uh, the line that Walt delivers, of course, when he tells, uh, finally confesses to Tuco that, yes, we tried to poison you because you're insane. You're an insane degenerate piece of filth and you deserve to die. I mean, it's mm-hmm. such a, a great condemnation. But, yeah. uh, you know, upon second thought, like, that seems like the obvious choice, right? Because it yeah. is such a, a powerfully delivered line. But um, one of the things that, that stood out to me in this episode that we haven't really talked about it is, well, you did a little bit talking about like the humor in this episode. You talked, you spoke a little bit about Raymond, uh, Cruz's, uh, humor and how he plays with, with Tuco and, mm-hmm. or with, uh, I keep calling Tio, Tuco, Tio, mm-hmm. I meant how like those two play off of each other. But, um, there are a, a couple of other lines that really stood out to me. Um, <laughs> when, uh, when, uh, Tuco is telling Walt and Jesse that like uh he thinks that Gonzo snitched on him and uh, Jesse's like yeah I'd waste him too yo (laughs) (laughs) and then Tuco's like shut up you know yeah but 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 I think probably my favorite line um again it's gonna be Walt and he says you know my life's not the priority here because I'm gonna be soon dead anyway right when uh, they're trying to discuss what to do and um jesse's trying to convince walt that he should just like sacrifice himself and throw himself at at tuco Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so um and then jesse's response to that is like uh yeah um (laughs) i thought that was really really funny um given given the situation so i i appreciated the the levity again in 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 those those really dark moments and there is a lot of humor in that that entire scene between those four characters yeah, I you know just to go back to the, the to the, the the big one that um you mentioned first that that you're a, you know you're an insane degenerate piece of filth and you deserve to die. I like that one because you know you have where where Walt is right now, like in his in his journey. You have where he ends up later. You have the way that you know he sees himself, the way that other people see himself, like all these different things about this this central character. And, you know, like he, he, he's not wrong 
Tuco no. is <laughs> is insane. He's, he's, not wrong. he's, he's <laughs> filth, and he probably does deserve to die as much as someone can deserve to die. And you know, he Walt later embodies all those things himself. You know what I mean? So yeah, I he does. That was, that was a was an interesting connection. It, it reminded me a little bit. Sorry, it, just, it remind this line also reminded me a little bit of um of Nacho's final monologue in Better Call Saul when he's um, yeah. talking about like you know how glad he is that that uh, Lalo died and he wished that he had done it himself and some I mean it's not the exact same language but he calls him like a pig and yeah um, it's the same it's the, the same sentiment though you know yeah the the Salamancas definitely inspire uh, disgust and and hatred and and everyone that they they seem to encounter and. You know, it's they have a point, right? It's deservedly yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not nice people. They're not no, nice they're people. No, uh, As far as shots, uh, I I really like. There's this. It's not. It's not. It's not very long, but um, there's this really intense sequence where Tuco grabs Walt by the the ears, basically, I think, or maybe by the neck. You know, he's holding him by the head, and um, he's asking him if he can trust him. And the way that there's it sort of it sort of cuts to a couple different scenes, but there's one that's like a wider shot, and you see you see Tio between them, like in the little the little gap between their body, like you see him sitting in his chair, and the and we were talking you were talking about like the silent acting and everything else, and he looks so checked out, you know, like there's this crazy violence going on and he's just sort of like sitting there and uh, I thought that was a great setup, you know what I mean? Because it really does, it's kind of in the background, you're not really, it's not the, it's not the most important thing that's happening there, mm-hmm. but it, but it furthers this idea that he's this, uh, you know, he's just this human being that's obviously not a threat, you know. I mean, he's almost like furniture in the room or something like that. In the way that they they set that shot up, so I really like that. Yeah. So uh, I I have a hard time, as as you all know, with picking my favorites. I I kind of I guess um it, from like a philosophical point of view, tend to reject like trying to like like talk about what is my favorite whatever whatever you know favorite film favorite book because mm-hmm. like how do you do yeah. that like how do you, how no, do you no. really do that? So there are a couple of things that always stand out to me, right? Um and Probably the first thing when I watched this was you already mentioned it earlier, Pete. It's when uh, Tuco first opens the trunk, and um, we see this uh, image of of Skylar from like where where the point of view is from like within the trunk, looking up and out, and she's like kind of like casting this like angelic light. She looks like she's got like the halo around her, and she says, "I forgive you." Her hair is kind of flowing. Mm-hmm. She kind of looks like a, like a um like a like a Botticelli or something, or even. Um, biblical in a sense and yeah, i was thinking of also some, yeah something that i never noticed before um watching re-watching it this time is that jesse has a little uh virgin mary hanging uh in his car from the rear view underneath his dice um yeah. i thought that was that was interesting so you have these sort of like the the merciful mother um you know looking over them sort of thing so that stood out to me and also because it's it's not something that we typically see in Breaking Bad, that kind of like hallucination or or visual. And I thought it was really yeah. interesting. I was trying to figure out like what what was the choice here? Why would they show Skylar when they open the trunk? And I, I guess it was a way of just like reiterating that we're seeing things from Walt's point of view, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing that we see when the trunk is is opened. Instead of seeing the two men in the trunk or um yeah. or seeing two go outside of the trunk or something like that. Like why aren't we seeing 
Jesse's point of view or Tuco's point of view. So we're we're still very much entrenched in in Walt's story and Walt's narrative. And um, even though like this really sort of broadens out and you see a lot of a lot more story, but uh, of of the characters and and so on and so forth. But I thought it was just like an interesting choice. Like why did they they decide to show Skylar at that? at that moment but mm-hmm. like you um there were a lot of other smaller moments especially in the shack i think yeah. a lot of that silent acting i really love like how walt and jesse constantly mirror each other like when they're sitting at the table and they almost look like they're in prayer position they have their hands folded like over their mouths yeah. and when um I, I think if i had to really say like what is my favorite shot like that just i i love this this moment it's it's a shot of jesse and it's right after Tuco switches his plate <laughs> with uh, with Hector's because he thinks Hector wants the bigger burrito. And Jesse's eyes, he just does this, like his expression um, is of, of horror, right? And so like you can read that in a couple different ways. And I, I think it's actually a really interesting uh, look at, at Jesse's character and how Jesse thinks and feels and, and stuff like that. So obviously they want Tuco to take the rice in. They keep trying to get yeah. him to take the rice in. And they keep failing, you know? Yeah. This is like the second or third attempt, right? To to get him to take it. Uh, and um, But also, I think, like, Jesse's horror that, like, they would inadvertently kill an old man, right? Yeah. Like, it's, uh-huh. I think that's also read in his expression. And to be able to do that silently, right? To both show, like, like you know, like, oh, shit, Tuco's not taking the rice in, but also, oh, fuck, we're about to kill this old man. I I yeah. don't know if that that's if other people read Jesse's face that way in that moment, but it's really just great facial acting from from Aaron Paul in that scene. I I love that shot of him. Yeah, I did pick up on that, or at least I I, I pondered that when I watched it this time. Um, I'm not sure that ever stood out to me before, but uh, that's cool that you pointed that out because I thought the same thing. Um, do you think they ever ate those burritos? <laughs> uh, I well. Tuco, I think, had a bite, right? Yeah. I'm saying specifically Walt and uh Jesse. Do you think they ate theirs after everything settled down? Or that it what I'm I don't maybe I'm forgetting how that came to a close, but Well, they cut, right? So they cut. Yeah. So after uh Hector manages to sweep it off the table, right? Then um it cuts to them watching TV and yeah. uh So there's some to, time uh, there. Hector, they could have yeah. they could have eaten it. They could have. I imagine they, they probably did. I mean, hundred um, percent. Tuco goes back to? to finish his, right? Yeah. So yeah, one hundred percent. And I think because Tuco wants them to eat it, they probably ate. You would I'm eat assuming. it, right? I mean, it looked pretty good. Yeah, you know, as as awful as the Salamancas are, everything they cook looks really good. Yeah, right. They, those bur- they have those burritos look really good. Lalo's uh, um, tacos, four pepper salsa looked really mm. good. Have you seen the, Have you seen that video? Um, what's it called? Breaking Kitchen on YouTube. That guy edited, so it looks like they're in Gordon Ramsay's kitchen. Have you? Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? No, I never saw that one. Oh, you have to watch it. I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you a link to it. It's so funny. Anyone else out there listening that doesn't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube. Type in Breaking Kitchen. It's so funny. I don't want to say anything else about it. Just just go check it out. All right. Well, I think we can probably bring it to a close. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we do that? No. I think I we, think once I think once we get into the uh burrito discourse, it's probably time to Yep. move on. Time to wrap <laughs> it up like a burrito. Yeah, of course. All right. So, if you enjoyed this episode, 
be sure to follow our podcast and set yourself up for notifications. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, that would definitely help us out. We're trying to grow. Uh, it's not the most current thing, but we have a lot of fun doing this, and we would enjoy it even more if we could get more people to listen to it. Yeah, and, and share share it, right? Like if, if you enjoy it, um, if you don't mind, share our podcast on your socials, tell your friends about it. Um, anything you can do to, to, to help, uh, you know, elevate the podcast helps us and allows us to continue to keep making these, uh, these episodes. Yes. And if you want to support us directly, you can, you can join us on Patreon. You can find us there at patreon.com growth decay transformation. And you can follow us on Twitter where you can find out whatever we're up to and uh, interact with us there. And why not write to us at breakingbadgdt at gmail.com. Send us your feedback. Let us know what you want to hear in future episodes, what you're looking forward to in the series, and whatever else is going on with your rewatch. We we're, we don't always get the chance to respond to those, but we, we love to read them and they they definitely are something that, um, you know, help us decide where everything is as far as how people are receiving the podcast. Yeah. And you can um, find our producer Talitha's Instagram at Talitha underscore makes underscore things. So thanks for listening and uh, join us next week when we'll be discussing season two, episode three, Bit by a Dead Bee. That's really the name of the next episode? Mm-hmm. Wow, I feel like that's the first time I ever <laughs> heard that. So that's <laughs> it's exciting. a film reference. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week.